2: The sports complex afternoons 5 to 7 Woo!
1: Hell yeah! on the horn
0: On the sports complex here on a Tuesday afternoon, we got a lot to get into today. We were off yesterday for the Rangers and Astros game, so we today will get into our recap of what happened between Texas and Rice. A little bit of audio from Sark at his Monday morning presser. We'll get into Patrick's big fat poll today. Mike Craven was on Hook 'em Up talking all things college football. We'll talk all things college football as well. Maybe get into a little NFL, maybe a little MLB. We'll get all that get you ready for another Astros-Rangers game that is taking place uh, pregame. We'll be starting at 6.30 right here on the Horn. So we will get you ready for all that. Remember, you can join the conversation. 512-337-3776 is a Specs text line. 512-337-3776 is your Specs text line number. Uh, join the conversation there. Tell us your thoughts on the weekend, your thoughts on college football, your thoughts on NFL coming up, whatever you got, send it in to us and uh, join the conversation here on the Sports Complex. Let's get started, though. It was a, uh eventful enough Saturday for everybody watching Texas football. I uh, It was one that, you know, the game did not go the way everybody wanted to. This was a team that you should have definitely had a little bit better outing against, uh, especially in the first half. The second half wasn't terrible, and then you got into the prevent defense, and Malik Murphy was out there and some second-teamers, and we saw some more mistakes. But the the first half, let's go with some positives first of this game. Cause I, again, it, it's Rice. There's – you know, you can take some things out of this game and some others you're just going to have to let go. Uh, the defense looks solid, though. That defense – Uh, you know, you're able to go out against a guy who knows what you're kind of going to do. Rice had been game planning for this for a long time. You're able to get out there and uh, start off. And basically for the entire game, until you start to play really loose in the secondary in the second half and kind of play that uh, prevent defense. The the defense looks solid. The secondary was not allowing really any spaces, what you would need to be able to do. Uh, Those elite teams have the secondary and linebacker court and not be able to do it. That, that Natural pressure, uh, not rushing pressure, it was good enough. You're going to need to get it a little stepped up further. I think you're going to have to kind of manufacture some pressure this year still, but that, you, know, you weren't going to show a ton of it against Rice. And 27 rush yards. I mean, that's something uh, a lot of teams – again, it's Rice, so let's not get too excited. I don't want to get too excited about the defense. But 27 rush yards for uh, the – for the, the Rice Owls is a great start for, uh, for what you want to be able to do this season of being able to control the lines of scrimmage. And you controlled it on one end, of the, on one end right? You controlled it on one end. Unfortunately, on the other end, you did not control it. There was no control uh, of the offensive line. And that it was a bad start. Uh, you know, you came out. You know, you unfortunately had the screen pass where it just gets blown up so quick and Quinn puts the ball a little bit too low to try and make sure it's not a mistake. You go for it on fourth down, don't get it. That's something that was one of the biggest takeaways is that both fourth down attempts got stopped. You cannot have that. You're not showing anything big, but your O-line needs to be able to push and get you two or three yards against a Rice. Uh, If you're going to have any hope of doing that, I don't know if this is going to be a team that is going to be able to go for it on fourth down a lot with just pure muscle with the way this offensive line looked in that game, we can say the wide receivers look great. The running back room, Cedric Baxter, he was back in practice today. So, our back to practice yesterday. So, you know, we know that CJ Baxter can come out. And he looked pretty good. Jonathan Brooks, to me, other than you know a couple of, uh, you know, one big touchdown drop pass that he had, and 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 uh, I believe he was out on that fly the the rollout there. That he looked really good. We didn't get to see a lot of Keelan Robinson. I believe that's you know you're going to hold him out a little bit more for the Alabama game. I, we know he's going to play more in the Alabama game. They didn't want to show too much of that. So that should tell you. The fact that Keelan Robinson was not a major factor in this game should tell you everything you need to know about how you know fancy of a playbook we were going into in this game. It was a lot of draw plays and screen plays especially once we saw how bad that o-line looked. And I don't I don't know. I don't know what the problem with the o-line is. You know, we're going to have to see it again this week, and if Alabama tears it up, it's going to be a really long season. It could have been a number of things. They talked about it. Uh, you know, the players did afterwards. The communication wasn't there. They weren't picking up. How many players just walked in? The blitz? Were the blitzes were called from Rice, and no one saw it, whether Quinn didn't see it or whether the center didn't see it. You need to have way more communication. You're about to go into a hostile place. Alabama fans are going to be loud. I mean, that's something you're going to have to work on all week is a communication of this O-line. It it was god-awful. You're at home playing against Rice, and you continue to miss picking guys up. And I I think Sark's going to have to also realize that even though he has a lot of returning starters, that still is a somewhat young offensive line, and you're going to have to use some pass pro as running back. As much as he would like to slide his running backs out into the receiving game, you're going to have to use them somewhat because the, the offensive line just wasn't there, and you have to allow Quinn a little bit more time than what he was getting if you want him to be able to be an effective player. we And and I got different, you know, texts and different people reaching out to me on, on Saturday about Quinn Ewers. Uh, he, he threw a couple deep balls that didn't look real good. Uh, you know, he didn't have a ton of time on most of them. He threw some off his back foot because he had pressure coming. He was trying to get the ball out and do what he was supposed to do. Uh, I think that this is – you know, I was happy to see Stark call more plays in in that intermediate game, and I think that's something he's going to have to continue to do. You know, as much as you'd love to throw the ball deep with Quinn because we know he has, he has the arm to do it, he just hasn't been making those reads extremely well, and if he doesn't have that timing and those reads now, we saw him – he threw the one, and it drifted out of bounds on him on Xavier Worthy, and Worthy wasn't really even that open – and he, he licks his fingers afterwards and does the, is it is the wind picking up, you know, all those things you see. It's not. <laughs> That's the kind of thing when you, when you have to pull him on the back of the side and, and really try and calm him down and say, it's okay. You know, we, we, we missed that one. Let's go out and play football. Because I think there was too many times in this game that we saw Quinn Ewers start to get, you know, in his own head a little bit. And start to worry because the O-line was letting, you know, he was not expecting to have that much pressure on him in a game. And, you know, Sark talked about it all offseason about how physical they were doing. That offense did not look like it had been playing physical football. At least the O-line and and Quinn Ewers started to get into it, but he started panicking too much. Uh, You know, he shouldn't have as many rushes as he did in that game. I know you're going to be able, you're going to need him to be on his feet at points, especially when you go to Alabama, you're going to want him to be able to be mobile a little bit because it opens up more things. It, it, it allows you to it allows you to pull some pressure off if he runs. But you can't have him running as much as he did in that game if you want to be successful going through the season. And, and so you're going to need him to be able to sit in that pocket and have some progressions. There was a play where he broke through, and the pocket actually held. It just pushed back a little bit. But there was enough time for him to sit in the pocket and go, and he ends up trying to scramble, gets caught with one arm on the way out of the pocket. Those are the type of plays he needs to work on more than anything else. The deep throw is either going to come or it's not going to come, but I, I'm not as worried about that because we know what he can do in other places, and and he made a bunch of other really good throws. So I'm not as worried about that. I know that's I'm worried about Sark making the play calls, but I'm not as worried about Quinn Ewers on the deep ball throw. I I just it's not it's not something that he is. You know, it's such a feel thing, those deep balls. You can practice it all day long, but the practice is only really to get to that timing and that feel of where the throw is because, you know, you're trying to put a ball. And we we saw a thing that we did a skills competition. Uh, I don't think it was last year, but the year before they did a skills competition in the NFL. And, you know, you looked at some of the younger quarterbacks and they couldn't get anywhere near the, you know, 40, 50-yard pass downfield. It just takes time. The older quarterbacks can nail it no problem. That's something that just comes with field and repetition. And, you know, he hasn't had enough time on the field with pressure coming at him where he's actually a little bit more afraid and getting his footwork down and getting that back foot and putting it right where he wants to put it. I'm not as worried about that as him trying to make progressions and him trying to make reads on the defense. Sark did speak to the media today, though. And uh, here's Sark's opening statement when he spoke to me. I'm sorry, yesterday he spoke to the media. Uh, here's Stark's opening statement to get us in to kind of recap mode of the game. It, it wasn't a bad game. The second half looked much better. We, you know, everybody was able to calm down a little bit. Uh, the, I think the the pass rush in the O line for Texas, the pass rush for for Rice in the O line for Texas, kind of took this whole offense and, and threw it. You had to throw it out because they weren't ready for what Rice was bringing at them. Rice had been preparing for a long time, and Tex wasn't ready. You need to be much more ready next week, but uh. Here's Stark today talking to the media. Here's his opening statement.
1: A couple things. Just recapping uh, last week's ball game. Um, you know what? What I thought defensively kind of held true. Um, I thought uh, I thought we played really hard. Uh, I thought that we populated the ball, tackled pretty well. I thought our defensive front, you know, Tavondre Sweat had a heck of a game. Uh, but but we found ways to pressure the quarterback. Probably missed a couple opportunities for an, uh, another couple sacks there, uh, creating the turnovers. You know, really limited, I think, them to two explosive plays and, you know, one of which was a self-inflicted wound. Just we, we didn't match a route very well. So a really good performance on the defensive side of the ball. Um, special teams was a little hit and miss in that we did some things really well. A couple things, you go back and watch the tape, we'd like to do it a little bit better. Uh, but that's, like I said, that's what week one from week two is. And then offensively, again, just that that inconsistency early on, especially at the line of scrimmage. You know, we, we made some errors up front that – we uh, were uncharacteristic for us. Um, very fixable things, which that's what we were working on here this morning of getting those things tightened up. Um, couple things in the run game as as well as in the pass game. A couple of the protection breakdowns, the the, the fourth and one where we don't block uh, a free hitter right at the point of attack. So uh, that's that's a good thing. Uh, that when you when you go watch it, that the things that occurred are fixable. Uh, but I, like I touched on with the team. Um, Everybody on our team has room for improvement, coaches included, where we can be better uh, going into week two. Uh, clearly week two is a great challenge. Um, going to play uh, Alabama in Tuscaloosa, Bryant-Denny Stadium, uh, should be a, a great night of football. I, I know that the key to the drill for us is focusing on what we need to do to prepare uh, and getting ourselves in the right frame of mind, You know, mentally, physically, and emotionally to play a four-quarter, hard-fought, very physical game.
0: We'll get more into Alabama stuff as the week goes on. we get into tomorrow. We'll play more of that audio. But looking at what Sark has to say, you know, it is. There, there's problems that you need to fix. And, you know, you kind of wish you saw a little bit more on the defensive end to fix. But, you know, this is an, an Alabama team that is that's not that has an offense that is question mark. So that side of the, the ball should be fine. The real question is can Texas offense uh, move forward? And it's that O-line and trying to fix the problems of you know, just trying to suss out what this team is going to be able to put together. And I think on the field is going to be a big step forward that Quinn is going to have to take because you're going to be able to need him to be able to read these, these defenders, read some of these blitzes, and maybe check into some things or maybe change his progressions a little bit to understand to go to the intermediate or go for the quicker pass if this O line is not holding up. But this is something they're going to be working on a lot this week. You know, I, you know, just trying to get this offensive line stepped up into a better game. But the defense looked very good in that game. Uh he was asked about the defense playing faster and just playing a bit more confident. Here's Sark on the defense playing faster and a little bit more confident and loose as the game went on.
1: Well I do think we're playing faster I do think there's a level of trust now and I think that all goes back to the continuity of the coaches um, and then the experience of some of those players that we have uh, and then the younger players trusting the older players and trusting the coaches and so in turn I, I do think you know, because each co- each player's had the same coach his whole time since we've been here. The scheme, the system has remained the same the whole time that they've been here. They're, they're developing and understanding the nuances uh, and how things are supposed to fit and how they're supposed to go and how coverages are supposed to work together that inevitably allows you to play faster. And then there's, there's the trust factor that when you trust it all, then you can really go cut it loose. And, and I think the guys are doing that.
0: That's... Really, what the biggest part of that defense was, though, is everybody seems to be in the right spot at the right time. There was basically one play in that game where it was where David Benda just misread the play and didn't get over on a motion correctly, and they were able to get some good yardage out of it. But that's one out of the entire game. In the, in the second half, when they went to that prevent and they kind of just played a loose man or a loose zone defense, it, it it became, you know, a lot easier for Rice to at least move the ball a little bit. They still weren't giving up much, but it made it much easier for Rice to move the ball. You you wonder a little bit more on red zone uh of being able to work against a, a stronger O-line. But if you there's no blitzes in this package either. So once you start using blitzes and now guys are having to cover someone that's not their own, then you're gonna have to start to figure out a little bit of how fast this defense can play. But this is something that we saw in the game at Alabama last year. Was Nick Saban likes to throw out his man defense, and Quinn Ewers was able to tear it up early in that game. It was nice to be able to see the defense be able to play loose, fast, and stay on top of what they were doing. That's a good part of the game. Uh, we'll have a little bit more good in this press conference, but let's get to it. This is this is what the 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 biggest takeaway of the Rice game for whoever's watching it. You know, you can put a little bit on Quinn. You can put. Uh, A little bit on coaching, but the reality is the biggest thing that everybody saw was offensive line play. Here is Sark talking about the offensive line play in that Rice game.
1: You know, I thought Christian Jones had a nice game uh, at tackle. Uh, You know, he's probably the cleanest performer on the offensive line. I I felt like the rest of the guys kind of took turns with some. Simple errors, you know, things that that reverted back to kind of training camp stuff. That, um, like I said, I knew we could we could fix, and, and that we'll get fixed this week. The thing I didn't love, I didn't love our physicality. I, I feel like we were are a more physical football team than the way we played, um, and so that's a real challenge to our guys. You know, there's a style and manner in which we want to play the game up front. And and we've got to become more physical. We've got to play more physical. And I think that comes when you remove some of the hesitation. Like I said Saturday after the ball game, I felt like um, we were a little bit slow and a little bit hesitant trying to kind of diagnose what we were what we were trying to do up front. And in reality, we got to go cut it loose and we got to play a brand and style of football that that is ours. And this is
0: where there's a bunch of things to take out of that. Of the, you know, mental mistakes that you were making early in practice. But I think when you really look at what that O-line was missing and what that O-line seemed to be, whether whether we, whoever was messing up the play, whoever didn't pick up their guy, whoever was in the wrong spot, I agree in physicality. I want you to be a more physical team. Your, your run blocking wasn't terrible. You only missed a few in the run blocks that the guys were able to get through, which you shouldn't be missing those either. But once you tell someone just to move forward, they were doing pretty well in those uh, that pass blocking was kind of where the problem was in, in identifying the defense in the pass blocking. And I think there might be something to being said of this team not having a set leader on the O-line. We all know Banks was supposed to be the best player, but he's over there in left tackle, so he's not going to be the guy. Jake Makers, Jake Majors just gets that Lamborghini deal. You really need Jake Majors to step up and be the vocal final say in what's happening in that offensive line and whether it's Quinn Ewers and Jake Majors working together or Jake Ma- – like you really need your center to be able to communicate at a very high level what, they, what the pass protections are, who to be watching out for. Even though you got your guy, even though you grab the guy in front of you, that's, that's not always just good enough. Even if the play calls for a double team on the left on you know, a defensive end, you can't then allow a linebacker a clean pad to the quarterback. And it felt like there was too many times in that game that they were doing what they were supposed to do on the playbook and there was no adjustment for whatever Rice was doing. And while you've been working on the Alabama game plan for a long time and you've had coaches breaking down every type of defensive uh, you know, rush they did, they didn't show anything against Middle Tennessee State defensively. We know they have a new D.C. And I know Nick Saban likes to do things his way. And, you know, the playbook doesn't change that much, but there's going to be some different blitz packages that are going to show up in that game that hasn't been done by Alabama before. And you're going to have to figure those out and you're going to have to communicate in a very hostile, loud environment. And I don't know if the Texas O-line is ready for that I mean, if I'm Sark, I'm blasting music or I'm blasting crowd noise. I'm blasting stuff in that practice, and I'm trying to send every different blitz I can at it, and every time it doesn't work, you got to go back and figure out how to pick up those defenses because you cannot allow for free shots at the quarterback, and there was way too much of that in a Rice game. On the positive, we did get to see a bit more of the running game. And we got to see what Jonathan Brooks could do. We got to see what Cedric Bastard could do. We saw what Jaden Blue could do. We got to see what a lot of the guys could do in that backfield. And, again, we didn't see Keelan Robinson. He, he was not really a factor in this game. But we got to see a lot of other guys. Here's Sark talking to the media yesterday about the running game for Texas.
1: Yeah, CJ's back at practice today, uh, which was a positive. Uh, the run game-wise, um... You know, th- there were moments when it, it looked really good, you know, and I thought we find started to find a little bit of rhythm there. Uh, but but my evaluation of the run game might be different than others. It's how do we run the ball when they know we're going to run the ball? Uh, that that's that's really critical, uh, and that's something we take a lot of pride in in our team run periods, the emphasis in which we do it. Um, but but like I said earlier. I thought some of the errors that occurred in the run game, why things weren't as clean as we maybe would have liked, um, we didn't trust our training well enough. And that, that's something that uh, we need to improve upon, You know, because we can't, can't guarantee what every front's going to be or what every pressure and line stunt's going to be. So we got to trust our training and use our fundamentals and use our techniques and improve upon those to make sure regardless of what the look is that we get, that we block it accordingly and that we do it w- in, with a level of physicality that is up to our standard.
0: And there goes the offensive line again. The running backs look good. The offensive line could have looked better in every aspect of the game. But the running backs, we got to see Jonathan Brooks. He definitely looked like the most uh, cerebral runner of the group of a runner that has just seen the game at a college level for more time. Uh, CJ Baxter definitely came out and had some moments and had some runs in there where you saw every bit of potential, but on a – Every down, who you trust on third down to try and get you that extra three yards, who you trust on third down, for me, it was still Jonathan Brooks in that game, of who I trust on third down. I know he the the low ball. I know the touchdown drop. There, there were some big plays he missed, but I still trust him as he was the one that could go into a pile and push the ball forward. As Sark said, when they know you're going to run, still be able to run the ball. I, that, to me, was Brooks in that game, but I think we'll see a combination, and, and Sark will show – He wants to throw the ball. He wants to throw the ball. And even if that is short passes to the running back, he wants to do that. And so we're going to see that to an certain extent uh, throughout this game or throughout the season. I don't know if we saw we saw on the depth chart that was released before the game that C.J. Baxter was the number one running back. I don't think many people were expecting that, but we got to see that. We got to see... That C.J. Baxter came in and played some good minutes until he got hurt. He's back at practice. We saw Savion Red even get some time at the end of that game. We saw everybody get to come in and play. Jaden Blue looked really good for a guy that's not even mentioned in that group. But if you had those change of pace backs, I still just want to see one running back taken. And I didn't see the running back who went in and took it. We know Jonathan Brooks had the early touchdown. Cedric, C.J. Baxter probably the best run I don't know who's taking it, though. And that is what I want to see in that game was run one running back step out and be the guy and be the running back that was going to take over for Texas this year. And, and I can't complain that it looked like there was three that could do it at a level, at a higher level, the three guys that could be, you know, good running backs. But it's like that age-old, age-old adage at, at quarterback that if you don't have – if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. If you have three running backs, I it, I feel like there's a part of it where you'd still prefer to have two and one really good one. You'd like to have the the situation you had last year where you know, as good as Roshan was, you know who Bijan John Robinson is. You'd like to see that, and I'd like to see one of those guys. And it may be C.J. Baxter, but week two is now the week to do that. We saw them play well, and it's going to be with this offensive line, being able to communicate behind the offensive line, being able to hear what they're talking about and being able to see and and help communicate behind the line of scrimmage because that is what's going to be necessary because guys are going to be coming in, and sometimes those holes that they open up, you're going to see, especially week two, but as, as these good defensive coordinators across the Big 12 start game planning for you, you're going to see a lot more guys coming straight up the middle and safeties and linebackers coming to try and take a running back's head clean off. You're going to see that. We got some more sound. We'll try and get to it a little bit later, but let's get to Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the day
2: Patrick's big fat poll of the day on the
0: horn Patrick's big fat poll of the day today you can join the conversation 512-337-3776 that's 512-337-3776 is the text line text us in let us know what your, uh, your, what your uh, answer is to this question let us know why and join the conversation with us and uh, what I want to know today real simple who was your MVP for week one against Rice. Who was your MVP? Is it it's I mean, it's Jalen Ford's up there. Alfred Collins had a game. Tavondre Sweat had a game. That D line looked really good. The interior D line. Is it one of those guys? Jalen Catalan had a good game. Is it him? Is it a Jonathan Brooks? Is it a Cedric Bag- A CJ Baxter? Is one of those guys your MVP? I don't think anybody's giving it to Quinn, but you could. Is it Xavier Worthy? Man, Xavier Worthy looked like the the wide receiver that we remembered from a year, a few years back, and I know, again, it's Rice. We all know. It's Rice. It's Rice. We know. Who was your MVP for week one against Rice? Send that in, 512-337-3776. 512-337-3776. Who's your MVP? I'm not going to say offensive or defensive. You can pick it, and we'll take your answers, put them up on a poll on social media after the show. But I want to know who you got, who you think it is, that Texas really leaned on in this game and came through and is going to be ready for another big performance in Week 2. We come back. We're going to listen to Mike Craven. He joined Hook Him Up with Ian Robbie this morning, talking all things college football, keeping the college football talk going. Join the conversation, 512-337-3776, and we'll be right back on the Sports Complex here on the Horn, 1019 and 1260, the Horn app, and at hornfm.com.
3: Craig Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons on The Horn.
1: Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Shower and the blood starts pumping out on the streets the traffic starts jumping with folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to
0: five. back here on the sports complex on a Tuesday theme of the week it's all about working it's labor Day week so we thought we'd throw in some songs about working for you for all the working class people out there we got gotcha. you working music for you today on the horn and all week on the horn but we're gonna go into Something that was on uh, Ian Robbie this morning. If you want to join the conversation, 512-337-3776. 512-337-3776 is the text line. Join us on there on our conversation. And what we're asking, among other things, you can join the conversation with whatever you want. But who was the MVP? We've already got a few answers up there that I I didn't list, but a couple of y'all got some answers up there. Send in who was your MVP on Saturday against Rice. Send that in. Any other thing else you want to talk about, send it in on the Specs text line. We're going to get over to Hook'em Up with Ian Robbie. They had a conversation this morning with Mike Craven from uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Uh, it was a great conversation, talking all things college football. So we want to give you a taste of that as our college football conversation continues on a Tuesday here on The Horn. It's hook him Up with Ian Robbie talking to Mike Craven.
2: All right, let's go straight to the Vaqueros hotline, Ron, because he is the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He's my co-host on the Eyes on Texas multicast that will come out today, our episode reviewing week one and the Longhorn win over the uh, Rice Owls. He is our man, Mike Craven. Craven, how are you, bud?
4: Doing good, guys. How are y'all? Thanks, Mike. Thanks for joining us, brother. Appreciate you doing doing this.
2: Hey, listen... uh, you wrote the, the, the preview of the Rice Owls uh, for the magazine, and you wrote all the previews for the, Dave Campbell's Texas football, Bible of Texas football. Um, what did you think of, of the Rice-Texas game? You knew both very well.
5: Yeah, I mean, it went the way I thought it was going to. I, I think one of the things we need to remember here is is Rice probably prepared for Texas for about six or seven months in the offseason, and Texas probably prepared for Rice for about six or seven days, right? And so, um, I, I, you know, I think Rice looked at a lot of things that Texas did offensively and came up with a pretty good game plan. You know, they brought in Derek Mason as an analyst over the offseason. Him and Bloom are are really tight. And so, you know, I'm sure they put some things up that that offense just hadn't seen on rice tape before. It confused that offensive line. It took Texas a little while to get going. But, you know, they came out of the second half and went touchdown, touchdown, touchdown on offense. The defense played great for for 60 minutes, one of the better performances uh, from the Texas defense in a long time. And so... And I think it was fine for Texas. It all comes down to week two and how they play against Alabama. If they beat Rice 70-3 to and then lay an egg against Alabama, nobody cares. Um, If they go and beat Alabama next week, nobody cares that the first half was a little sluggish. So that's kind of my overall take about week one. We kind of treat it like a preseason game and then move
4: on from there. Hey, Mike, what are your thoughts about uh, Quinn Ewers and seeing Quinn Ewers' first uh, showcase uh, of 2023?
5: Yeah, I, I think we're at a point. We talked about this a little bit on the podcast like, last night. That that said was coming out. I, I think we're at a point where maybe just Quinn Ewers doesn't throw a deep ball very well, and, it, and it's <laughs> up to start to it's up to start to kind of figure out how to manage that and how to like do the best for him. Like he's he's the guy who comes up with the game plans and calls the plays. If your quarterback doesn't do a thing really well, like maybe move away from it. And I think that's gonna be up to Sark and the maturity of, of him just kind of growing up as a head coach and as a play caller, you don't need Quinn Ewers to be Troy Aikman or Trevor Lawrence to go win a Big 12 title and play in a college football playoff. You know, Mac Duggan did it last year, and he wasn't, you know, great in every single aspect of, of play. So I think we see Quinn Ewers as this five-star, perfectly rated prospect out of 24-7 and just think he can do everything, but maybe he can't. And, and if he's not a great deep ball thrower, uh, then it's up to the coaches around him to figure out how to how to manipulate that and keep that uh, from being a problem.
2: Preaching to the Rod Babers choir right there, Mike Craven. Uh, if he doesn't throw the deep ball, don't throw it. But can Sarg not have the deep ball as part of his offense? Will become a problem or a, or a uh, conundrum to figure out the deep ball dilemma. Hey, uh, Mike, the uh, you were because for Dave Campbell's Texas football, you're going to go to 13 different. Stadiums this year in the state of Texas to cover 13 different programs. You were at TCU this week to see the uh, the incredible debut of Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. You said you you saved your press credential because that one felt like it it might uh, might be a one of those you know, seismic type of games with Deion Sanders and his impact on college football?
5: Yeah, I mean, it was one of the more surreal things I've ever been at, right? I mean, like, you know, even two, three hours before the game when Deion gets got there, it was already a show. You know, like everything he does is a show. Um, he's just charismatic in a way that, that is rare for football coaches. Um, and so uh, I just think the way that they go about talent acquisition and you watch Travis Hunter and you watch Shadir Sanders and, Just the magnetic uh, nature of Dion. That team's going to be one that we watch every single week. Like Fox big news kickoff was supposed to be in Lubbock for the Texas tech Oregon uh, game. And that loss at Wyoming probably, probably ruined some of that, but they're just kind of following Dion. Like they're going to Boulder now um, to watch them play against Nebraska Uh, big 12 football because of Dion is going to be must watch in in 2024 and beyond. And I think that's some of the point, right? Is he kind of knows how to get eyeballs on those guys and, I was I was absolutely floored by how well they played. It it, it I think the transfer portal is probably going to get you know less boogeyman now. I mean, you saw what Texas State did to Baylor with a bunch of transfers. You saw what Colorado did to TCU with a bunch of transfers. SMU looked really good with a bunch of transfers. So maybe that kind of roster building won't be as much of a a bugaboo moving forward because of the success some of these teams are having.
4: Hey, Mike, what were your thoughts uh, about what you saw from uh, the Baylor Bears losing to Wyoming? Oh, gosh.
5: Yeah, it's hard to figure out what Baylor is, right? And, like, when a coaching change happens and and you win a lot of football games early on, that whole conversation happens about, like, well, did you just win with the last guy's players? And Mm. if you look back on that 21 team, you know, that was Terrell Bernard, that was Jalen Petrie, Petri, that was Abram Smith, that was a lot of Matt Rule, Joey McGuire guys. If you look at the recruiting Dave Aran has done over the last couple of years, he hasn't replaced those with like guys. There's not seven or eight NFL players uh, on this team. and There's not six or seven NFL players on that defense. And when Baylor was winning a lot of games in 2021, they weren't scoring a lot of points. You can go back and look at that second half of the schedule. They were winning by scoring 20, 21 points against really good competition. That defense just wasn't allowing a lot of points now all of a sudden without those superstars on the defense they're allowing a lot of points and the offense just isn't built to score like that i mean they scored 31 points uh against texas state and that would have been good enough to win all 12 regular season games back in 2021 for baylor uh, but it's not anymore because the defense isn't there uh Aranda's looking down the barrel of a one and five start i mean they got utah in week two hmm. texas in week four ucf in week five and texas tech in week six and so um, outside of Rhode Island in Week Three, there's not a just guaranteed win on that schedule. They could be one and five and and, eight and heading towards you know their third losing seasons in four years. It's just wild that the other one is the best season in Baylor history.
2: He is Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He'll be in Lubbock this week. We'll get a thought on the the, the matchup with Oregon and Texas Tech. But I wanted to double back and ask you about the Deion Sanders post game because you were there. We've played a lot of the sound from it. I mean, as you you're a big uh, wrestling guy. I mean, D- you said it. Dion's going to be a show, and it was it was tremendous theater. And uh, what do you make of that? Just just being a part of that, that press conference.
5: I mean, it, I think it's hilarious. Like I was sitting there like smiling and cracking up the whole time, and it, it's it's. What I find amazing about Dion is he never breaks character. And to me, that, that shows that he is just the character, right? Like, he just lives that lifestyle. Like that's what he really believes. Because it always sounds like a promo. It always sounds like something kind of like rehearsed and made to, to kind of get the cameras and stuff. But I think this is how Dion operates. Like, anybody who heard his pregame speech and stuff like that, this is who he is. And uh, it, I think it's enjoyable. I think it's good for college football. I think Dion's good for college football. I think personalities are good for college football. And I think sometimes we try to strangle the fun out of this thing, uh, and it's still supposed to be really fun, and Dion makes it more fun than it was without him. And the Travis mm-hmm. Hunter performance, uh,
2: Mike, you said to me last night, might be the best individual performance you've seen in a long, long time.
5: Yeah, I mean, it was like Vince Young in the Rose Bowl level of impressive. right? I mean, like, it was one of the top five individual performances I've ever seen, and he may go on to, to do 10 or 11 more of those, just the way he plays football. Like, I – I would love to know Rod's opinion on like if he thought that was possible at that kind of level, to play like I mean he was, he was he was getting covered by the best corner in the big 12 and just torching them, and then he was covering some of the better wide receivers in the big 12 and locking them down. I mean that interception was incredible. He was a couple drop passes away from having two picks and two touchdowns in yeah. his first game at the FBS level, just absolutely insane. And one of those that we all just kind of set in the press box and just you know a bunch of guys that have covered a lot of college football. Are trying to figure out a, a, the thing that reminded them of that, and they couldn't come up with it. That's how rare it was. It was an impressive thing to watch, and, and something I'll probably remember for a long time.
4: No, he's basically Shohei Otani. He's a, he's. We were looking for a Shohei comparison because we hadn't found one in the sports, and then Travis Hunter just gave us one. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. <laughs>
2: Unblew. hey uh, Mike. The uh, this is funny that uh, I'm a big fan. Rod's a big fan. You grew up an o- old Oilers fan, and uh, go, Houston Cougars are donning the uniforms. I hope they keep them. But you told me last night that that you ha- you knew that story since June, and you said you had to hold it. You couldn't put it Aww. out. You couldn't reveal it, as you you couldn't burn your source, who was the athletic director, I believe. But uh, how hard was that not to tell the world because you, you know, you're you a big Oiler guy?
5: Yeah, usually the news that I have and I have to keep to myself for a month is very boring. You know, none of my friends want to talk about North Texas or Rice or some administrative thing or something behind the scenes. But they all would have wanted to talk about those Houston jer- jerseys. And uh, I just couldn't say anything about it because I knew if you started talking about it, I was going to get somewhere just because people were going to react the way that they did to it. I thought it was genius marketing. I don't know if I would have done game one. I probably would have waited until like that TCU Big 12 opener or mm. maybe Texas at home or something like that. Uh, but it was very smart. And I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with your opinion that they should figure out a way to do that more, or maybe integrate that permanently somehow. Because, you know, those are the national colors of Houston, Texas. Like baby blue and red uh, are the favorite colors of Houston, Texas. And that remains true uh, to this day. And there's just something that is, uh, a reactionary to those jerseys and, and i think the whole city kind of enjoy that they're going to sell a ton of shirts and hats and jerseys and make a lot of money from that merchandise
2: yep no doubt hey uh lastly you're going to lubbock this week and uh Joey mcguire's team just lost that wyoming after they built a 17 point lead and couldn't hold it; they lose in overtime. So they're zero one coming home to face an Oregon team that scored over eighty points in their opener with Bo Nix. Uh,
5: what are you What are you looking forward to seeing in that game? Yeah, it's kind of been Jekyll and Hyde for Joey McGuire. You know, he said everything runs through Lubbock and maybe that just means when he's actually in Lubbock because they're <laughs> one in five. You know, they're one in five on the road in his tenure. Um, you know, and a lot of those they've been the underdog and the loss, You know, against teams that they were supposed mm-hmm. to last year, but this was kind of the first one where it was a real upset. You know, they were one of three in-state teams that, that were double-digit, you know, favorites and lost. And, and they got out to a 17 nothing lead, and then it just kind of trickled off there offensively. I, I don't know if we know what Tyler Shuck is. You know, he he has played really well before. Uh, and that was the, Actually, that was Tyler Shuck's first loss that he played the full game for Texas Tech. So he's just dealt uh, with a lot of injuries. But I, I think at home against Oregon, with all the pub, it's going to be sold out. It's going to be a night game. Playing at night at Jones Stadium is one of the more unique experiences in the state. I think Tech is going to come out and play really well, uh, but it still just shows that he's in year two and they're not all the way where they need to be roster wise for sure.
2: And your thoughts on Texas Alabama uh, thumbnail? Do you think Texas has a shot uh, to become just the sixth team since 2008 to win at Bryant Denny?
5: I do. I mean, I think they have the ingredients at least on paper to to go win that football game. You know, I've, I've watched Jalen Milrow play for a long time, for a lot of years, dating back to his Katie Tompkins days, and. You know, I would take Quinn Ewers over them. You know, I think I think Texas has the better quarterback. I think Texas has the better skill position players. I think the defenses are are pretty comparable, and you know, it's going to come down the offensive line and who creates the push, who can protect their quarterback, who can figure out a way uh, to run the football. It was a one point game last year, and it came down to three or four plays. I think it's going to be a pretty close game this year that comes down to three or four plays, and. Maybe Texas is mature enough to handle that at this moment. It's
2: awesome. Uh, Mm. All right, Mike, the story that you dropped today that people should go read at Dave Campbell's uh, at TexasFootball.com is the name of the Dave Campbell's website. Uh, The story of G.J. Kinney and his father. And people know that his father, when he was a high school football coach in East Texas, was shot uh, and nearly killed by a disgruntled parent in his football office. And G.J. was just a kid at the time. Now he's the coach at Texas State. It's a must-read for college football fans. But uh, great story this morning, by the way.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's just one of the more interesting stories in college football right now. I mean, G.J. Kenny's dad gets shot. They play that year. And then in that by district round, they upset the number 1-ranked Gilmer Buckeyes, coached by Jeff Traylor. Uh, the next year, Gary Joe, G.J.'s dad, is going to go coach at Baylor, his alma mater, kind of get out of high school coaching, keep recovering from that stomach wound. Where does G.J. transfer? To Gilmer to play for Jeff Traylor. And, and they become really tight. G.J. was in Jordan Traylor's wedding over this offseason. Jeff Traylor considers him a son. G.J. considers him a second dad. And on Saturday, they're about to play against each other. And so uh, it's just fun you know, when Texas high school football stories like that come together. And it's one of the more wild you know, it, it feels like it should be a movie or, but I mean, like keeping it at a thousand words was nearly impossible because it's something uh, that could be written about for like 80,000 words in a book or something like that. It's one of those, you know, big East Texas kind of high school tales. It's going to be an interesting one on Saturday. And with, with Texas State looking so good in week one, all of a sudden, that's a, that's a real game. There's probably going to be about 40,000 people in the Alamo Dome. So it should be a fun one over the weekend. Thank
2: you, buddy. Nice. Good stuff on the recap. Uh, there's Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas football, also a part of that Eyes on Texas multicast that we will drop today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike.
0: Thanks, guys. Talk to you all later. All right, there you go. You, know, you,
2: had, you had that story for month, six weeks.
4: Yeah, I
0: love your blue the, uniforms. can put out
2: the uni.
4: Wait, I wonder if you could have got you know a pre order then. I know before they sell out or something like that. Because I'm with them. I want, I want hat. I want shirts. I told my brother to get on it. Get I need on hats. It. I need shirts. Yeah, man, that's I'm with you. They should definitely wear it more than once a year. I think they will because the response was so overwhelmingly positive. Like you, it, generationally. It hit with all generations. The, yeah. the kids, the young kids, liked it. Old people, like the olds, people older than us, were like, "Oh, this is great! This is awesome!" Everybody, it's, people who aren't even uh, a love your blue Oilers fans, are like, "Now those are sharp, really cool uniforms." Sharp. It, I didn't, I didn't hear one criticism really of them from I, anybody. Agreed,
2: agreed. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was a visceral thing for fans. And, oh, you man. You know that's uh that's a smart move. Now they won the game too. And they beat UTSA. And I
4: was I was a little surprised they beat UTSA. Actually, I was I thought UTSA would win that game. We'll come back
2: and uh, go behind the burnt orange curtain. Also, we'll we'll dabble in some of the Mike's thoughts that, you know, how about Dave Aranda could be looking at one and five to start this year if he's not careful. Now his quarterback is hurt. Yeah, Texas Tech playing Oregon Mm. this week. Texas going to Alabama. Uh, UTSA Texas State this weekend.
4: Yeah, Uh, I'm glad that he agrees that, listen, it's okay that Quinn U.S. can't throw the deep ball. It's all right. Like it's so it's it Longhorn fans are not freaking out about it. it's like it doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback just because he's not good. At the, there's something that you're not good at doesn't mean that you are that your you entire else. entire skill set should be thrown out the thrown out the baby with the bathwater. No, you got yeah you work on it. You got strengths and you got weaknesses. One of his weaknesses is the deep ball. It's just I think for Longhorn fans it's hard to fathom. It's hard for them to fathom like he's got the golden arm that can make any throw, but he can't complete the deep ball. It. Yes, I agree. Usually that's not the case, but it, it seems to be the case here. You have enough case study now and sample size to yes. say, you know what? It's just not good at that. Uh, you know, it's not it's the,
2: and it's the Bill Belichick motto, right? Don't ask someone to do those, something they can't do. Yeah. Play to the strengths. And you have a quarterback that can make a lot of throws, and so call those throws. Call,
4: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old Astros model, right, with their pitchers. Like, yeah. We're going to find, do analytics, we'll find out what pitches you're really good at and yeah. which ones you're bad at. We're going to throw more of the pitches you're good at Thank you. and less of the ones you're bad at
0: that seems it seems logical <laughs> yeah, exactly there we go mike craven on with ian robbie this morning on hook him up with ian robbie 6 to 11 right here on the horn every morning i uh i do have somewhat of a I, i'm not fully on board with the the quinn can't throw the deep ball i think he needs some work on it but i'm not fully on that he can't throw it at all we're asking you who is the MVP? of the Rice game on the Big Patrick's Big Fat Poll today. 512-337-3776 is the text line. 512-337-3776 is the text line. Hit those up. We come back, we'll read some of your text. We will uh I've got some sound from the Houston Astros broadcast over the weekend. That is a phenomenal sound of a guy who did something stupid, but we have some good sound from it. Uh, we will get to that as well when we come back. Here on the Sports Complex, on the Horn, 1019 and 1260, the Horn app, and at hornfm.com.
2: Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons,
5: only on the Horn.
3: Both the day
4: and night. I can't find nothing that will suit me right. A little bit of labor I'm not trying to
1: shake, but
4: everything I found seems too much like work.
0: Work, work, work. Uh, Back on the sports complex here on the horn. Playing some songs about working today because it's Labor Day week. So we're going to play the Labor Day work songs all week long. Uh, let's let's get to some of your texts. 512-337-3776 is the, the text line. 512-337-3776 is how you can text in. Uh, we did ask you about who your MVP was for game one. We did get a lot of Burt Auburn uh, we got Bert Auburn, Bert Auburn, and I'm serious about that. The kicker was the MVP. We get a sweat for defense. Ewers offense, and uh, Ewers offense 1A, 1B, Worthy. I don't know. I think Worthy played a better game than Ewers did. I, I don't think Ewers played a bad game, but there was definitely some times where he did not go through his progressions the way he was supposed to. I was at the game on deep ball throws. It did not seem like Quinn was setting his feet, especially on the throw to AD. Just lofted it, lofted it up there. The pass rush seemed to be on him on those plays. Quinn will improve as the O-line improves. I agree. There, he definitely seemed shaken, especially in the first half. Uh when that O- when the D-line for Rice kept getting to him and they kept getting pressure on him. It, it seemed to rattle him. He didn't go through his progressions. I, I do agree, though, that I think you need to, I don't need to get rid of the deep ball. You just need to change where it is in his progression. You just need to, you know, take it away from this is the pass we want you to make. To if this is open, throw it, but don't throw it unless the guy is is actually open, because we saw one he underthrew it, Xavier Worthy, which Worthy made a, a heck of a try to grab, and uh, just wasn't big enough to get it. But you want to see that ball be put into a. You, you want to see the ball be able to. Give them a, a little bit of space. Not have to throw it on the sideline. That may not be his forte either. Throwing deep balls down the sideline. Put something over where you have single coverage and you can go and send it out closer to the middle of the field when there's not a safety because the safety comes in. Those deep balls, I don't mind as much. I'd like to see that a bit more. Uh, but that is not what we have been seeing. Uh So we'll get to that. We'll get read a couple more of your texts as we go on, 512-337-3776. Who is the MVP for week one for Rice? Anything else you want to hit on on the Specs text line, we'll get to that uh, as we keep going. I do want to play you some sound, though. The Astros played the Yankees over the weekend. It was a terrible series for the Astros, but one bright spot, which wasn't even a bright spot, but one spot in the series, uh, there was a fan for the Astros who was at the game, and uh, he's over in the Steve Bartman spots. And a foul ball goes hits over that way from the Astros. The Yankees go to try and grab it. He reaches out. Fan interference. Automatic out for the Astros. Uh, and normally, it would be much more uh, hoopla about it if it was a postseason game or if the Astros were you know right in it and it was a really big loss for them. Fans are okay. ESPN went out to do an interview with him after the play. This interview is pure gold. So I wanted to play it for you guys today. Here's the interview uh, with the fan who reached out and cost the Astros an out on a foul ball that he reached over the wall for.
3: So tell us about that play and how it developed. (laughs) So pretty much, I'm out here with my son. This is our first ever game. We just moved here to Houston, literally in January. And I just wanted to make the moment special for him. As a father, I feel like it's my job to make sure that I give him the best moments. I apologize to the Astro organization. I didn't know it from, y'all got to understand, when he's dropping down, it looked like it's coming directly to you. So I reached, and my body went for what I know. But we did have a wonderful moment. Okay, so you reach out, and what was the reaction that you heard right after the play was over? The reaction was shock, disgust happiness, sweat, a little bit of lust baby. You feel me? I was in there feeling kind of kind of hurt, but my fingers still shaking a little bit. The so ball way heavier with the gravity. I'm not going to lie to you. Sean so, we're going to be on TV baby. <laughs>
5: right.
3: So tell me, how it looked like that you went away for a bit and then you came back. How'd you talk your way back? So truthfully, Houston loves me and I love Houston, and they cannot stop me from supporting the asteroids. So what happened was, I almost had to give them pop, 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 pop real quick on them, but they wasn't listening, so I told the love, and they let me come back. They really were just trying to make sure that I wasn't hurt, and that making sure that we didn't go over the rails. So salute to the whole organization. Great staff. They made sure that I was healthy, and I was enjoying the game. They wasn't even making it serious.
0: That is a next-level inter- interview right there. Charlie Ray, we're going to be on TV. I love Houston, and Houston loves me, and they can't stop me from rooting for the asteroids. That is some solid stuff, solid stuff i we need to get him on the show. He seems like he knows a lot about baseball when you get him on that uh I'm usually not a fan of rewarding people who do things in sports you're not supposed to do, but uh he really won me back with that interview uh and then and then selling the staff afterwards where he was clearly lectured. Uh, to never do that again. And they were just, and then he was like, they just want to make sure I was safe. Solid stuff there. We're going to read some more of your texts. We will get into some more college football talk. Uh, and anything y'all want to talk about 512-337-3776, hit me up on the text line 512-337-3776. Also asking you who is the MVP for the game. We'll get to those texts when we get back. Uh, we're out at 630 day for Rangers baseball, but we got some more college football talk and little NFL we come back here on The Horn, 1019 and 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com.